Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 3 says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now here's a really interesting phrase. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now that phrase in the middle, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing, is a very striking idea. It's the idea that when we have welcomed people into our lives, when we have tried to bless those that we may not know, when we've opened up our homes or our lives or what's going on with us to others, that in some cases we have actually been engaging with messengers from God. Those are what angels are. Angels are messengers from God. But the question that comes to me from this text Why would God's messengers come to us in disguise? I mean, after all, the passage says that you've entertained angels without knowing it, meaning that they have come in disguise. I would think if God's going to send you a messenger, you would want to know that the messenger is from God, and that messenger would come with some sort of bright, shining light, Or, hello, my name is an angel from God. Something to make it clear, hey, look, this is not some ordinary person. This is a messenger from God sent to you to bless you. But the question is, is God, according to this passage, often sends messengers to us in disguise? Why? Why would he do that? Wouldn't he get more glory if the angel showed up or his messenger and we simply knew it immediately by sight and bowed down and praised God for sending us this blessing? Why would we go through this hospitality and not even know that it was a messenger from God who had been sent to us? Well, to answer this question, why does God come to us or God's messengers come to us in disguise? There are plenty of present-day examples where God has shown up in our lives in disguise. There's plenty of examples throughout church history. There are plenty of examples in the Bible that we could look at to try to understand why is it that God sends his angels to us in some cases when we have no idea that it's happening. But there's one passage of the Bible that more than any other seems to stand behind this text and seems to be the reason for this being written the way that it is. And that's a story that's found in Genesis chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, take your Bible and turn to Genesis 18. If you're borrowing one of the church Bibles, we're so glad that you're willing to follow along with us. Just take one of those Bibles from the rack in front of you or under your seat and turn to page 13, actually page 12, sorry, page 12. If you're in page 12, you're going to be in Genesis 18. 
I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. Genesis 18, the story that stands behind Hebrews 13, and I think will help us begin to answer the question, why does God come to us or send messengers to us often in disguise? Genesis 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Now notice just real quick. See how the word Lord is not capitalized? That's to point out that Abraham does not recognize these people or this one person as being the Lord, capital L. He's simply addressing him with respect. Sir, if I found favor in your eyes, meaning Abraham doesn't know that God is coming to visit him. Do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now the story goes on to say that who's come to visit him is God and two of his angels. Those are the three men, God himself, and two angels have come to visit Abraham. At the beginning of the story, he has no idea. He thinks these are just strangers who are passing nearby him. By the end of the story, he has figured out that it's God. And the way he figures this out is because of the blessings that come to him through entertaining these three strangers. Namely, he finds out from the Lord that in within a year he's going to have a son, Isaac, meaning the promise that God had made to him that he would have a child would be fulfilled. Secondly, God and these two angels have shown up in part because these two angels are going to continue on from meeting with Abraham to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to find out if what's going on there is as terrible as the reports that God has heard. God is going to stay behind and talk to Abraham. Those two angels are going to go on to Sodom. And Abraham is going to find out from the Lord that his nephew Lot, who's living in Sodom, is in grave danger. And he's going to be given the blessing of being able to ask for and receive back from God Lot's life. In these two acts of blessing. Abraham comes to realize that this is the Lord God Almighty who's come to visit him, along with two angels. 
Now, the reason why we think this passage, more than any other, stands behind Hebrews 13 is God has come along with his messengers in disguise, but one of the key features is the hospitality that Abraham shows to these three people who he doesn't know who they are. It would have been very easy for Abraham simply to let these three strangers pass him by. But instead, he runs out and bows down before them. And he says, sir, Lord, come stay with me. Let me show you hospitality. He says, I'll go get some water for you so that you can wash your feet. He runs. The language talks about him hurrying back and forth. Now remember, he's an old man at the time. But he's hurrying. He runs to Sarah and says, quick. Prepare some bread. We can use that as an appetizer. And so Sarah quickly pulls together and quickly uh, uh, fries up some bread. And he gives it to them to eat. And while they're eating the bread, he hurries off and he goes and he finds a choice lamb from the flock. And he gives it to a servant. And he says, quick, as fast as you can. He's worried they're going to leave. He wants to show them hospitality. Quick, get this lamb ready. Prepare it. While the servant's doing that, Abraham races off to go get some goat's milk and some curds that he can give to them. He comes back, grabs the the calf that's been prepared, takes it to the men, and offers to them really an extravagant feast. I mean, this is an amazing meal that they're having. Goat's milk was a a rarity to be able to serve and, and drink fresh at a meal, to have a choice calf prepared. Abraham has gone way above and beyond what might have been expected of somebody. He's showing extravagant hospitality and extravagant welcome to these three men even before he knows who they are. Well, that's what Hebrews is talking about. Showing hospitality, welcoming strangers. And we do this because sometimes those strangers happen to be messengers from God, which was the case with Abraham. But we still have the question, why did God come in disguise? Why did God send his messengers or bring his messengers with him in disguise? I mean, after all, if you're in Genesis 18, look back to Genesis 17 for a moment. Genesis 17, the event that happens right before Genesis 18, look at how Genesis 17 begins. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. No disguise there. Genesis 17, God shows up and it really does say, hello, my name is the Lord God Almighty. It's very clear in Genesis 17 that when Abram is interacting with God, God has come not in disguise. Abraham knows it. He knows that this is the Lord. If you went back to Genesis 15, you would see that God appears to Abraham in a vision, not in disguise. And so the point is, look, Abraham's already interacted with God multiple times where God has not disguised himself. Why in Genesis 18 does God choose to come to Abraham with two angels, all three of which are in disguise? 
Well, the answer to the question, I think, has to do with what Genesis 18 is about. And that is hospitality. You see, in the Old Testament, when God shows up in his glory, he comes in a, a burning bush or a pillar of fire or a cloud of glory. But the problem with a burning bush or a pillar of fire or a cloud of glory, it's hard to invite them into your house for dinner. It's hard to invite the pillar of fire, come sit down at my table and let me prepare for you a lavish feast. It's hard to show hospitality or to welcome a burning bush, a pillar of fire, a cloud of glory into your life. A pillar of fire is something that's out there. It's something that you bow down and you worship and you look at, but from afar you can't get close to it. You know the amazing thing about this story in Genesis 18? God eats the food. He's not hungry. He doesn't need food. The angels don't need any of the stuff that's been prepared for them. At any point, God could have said to Abraham, hey, hey, look, take it easy. You're 99 years old. There's no need to go rushing around trying to prepare a big meal. I'm not that hungry. I don't really eat. I'm God of the universe. I made it all anyway. I'm fine. He doesn't do that. Why not? He's letting Abraham welcome him. This is the best that Abraham has to offer. This is what Abraham knows how to do. Abraham knows to prepare food and to give it to someone. And so God comes to him in disguise so that Abraham might welcome God into his life. If God shows up as a pillar of fire, no meal together. And so God comes in disguise. God comes with his glory veiled. God comes with two angels who we don't know that they're angels at the time so that Abraham can welcome them into his life and share a meal with them. And really to be extravagant. And this is a great exercise of faith. Abraham doesn't know that these three men are God and two angels. It's an exercise of faith to know that when you welcome people, you are blessing them in the name of the Lord. And in this case, it actually happened to be the Lord himself. That's what Hebrews 13 is talking about. God often sends messengers to us in disguise so that we have a chance to bless them. So we have an opportunity to welcome them. Look, God doesn't need anything from us. But he comes to us in disguise so that we can offer to him what it is that we have to give and welcome him with love. And the book of Hebrews is talking about this is what eyes of faith are required for. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we have to believe that some of the people that come into our life are there because God has sent them as his messengers in disguise and that when we welcome them with eyes of faith, not because they're wearing a name tag, but when we welcome them with eyes of faith, God is pleased with that. And our faith is a blessing to the Lord. Now Hebrews 13 and Genesis 18 are also closely tied to the events that we're celebrating today. Today is Palm Sunday. And if you traveled back in time almost 2,000 years to this Sunday, 
at the time of Jesus, you would find that there were three stories that we know associated with Jesus on Palm Sunday. Three things that the Bible tells us Jesus was busy doing or engaged with doing connected to this Sunday all those years ago. The first actually happened last night, meaning it happened the night before Palm Sunday, but it was in preparation for Palm Sunday. And the night before, Saturday night before Palm Sunday, Jesus is welcomed in the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That Mary, Martha, and Lazarus do for Jesus in many ways what Abraham did for God and his angels. They throw a lavish feast. They throw a lavish feast and invite Jesus as the guest of honor. And they welcome him into their home. And Mary goes above and beyond anything you could have ever expected someone to do. She takes a very expensive jar of perfume. And we would put it modern day estimates. It would probably be worth today somewhere between fifty dollars and $60,000. She takes a very, very expensive jar of perfume and uses it to anoint or wash Jesus' feet. She dries them with her hair. Now, interestingly, the first mention we have of foot washing anywhere in the Bible is Genesis 18. Abraham brings water for these three men to wash their feet, but Mary has gone above and beyond in her hospitality. She's actually taken not water, but very, very expensive perfume, the most valuable possession that she has, has broken it and is using it to wash Jesus' feet and is drying his feet with her hair. And here, right as Palm Sunday is getting ready to begin, we have this same idea. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are welcoming very God of very God into their home. I don't know how much they understood that Jesus himself is God Almighty. And that's because he's come in disguise. Jesus didn't show up as a pillar of fire or as a burning bush. He's shown up as a human. But Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are doing exactly what Abraham did. They're welcoming God among them. That's the first event that we know in the Bible connected to Palm Sunday. The second event is, of course, the triumphal entry. This is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Tom read that for us at the beginning of the, of the service. Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem. This is the city of the great king. This is Jesus' city, and the triumphal entry is the people of Jerusalem having the opportunity to welcome Jesus. But Jesus doesn't come into Jerusalem as a burning bush or a pillar of fire or a cloud of glory or even riding the white horse of heaven with the angel armies in procession. He doesn't come in his full glory. He comes in disguise, a lowly king riding on a donkey. And the thing is, is on Palm Sunday, some people do welcome Jesus to his home, to Jerusalem. 
especially the disciples and especially the children who are singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. Others, however, refuse to welcome him. They can't see that this is the messenger of God because he's come in disguise. They're looking for that triumphant military hero. They're looking for the angel armies. They're looking for the pillar of fire. Not this human riding on a donkey. And because they don't see it with the eyes of faith, they don't welcome him. In fact, they plot how to kill him. The third event that we know happens on this Sunday, some 2,000 years ago, after Jesus comes in the triumphal entry, the palm branches, the chanting, the cheering, he goes into the city of Jerusalem and makes a beeline for the temple. Because the temple, this is God's house. When he gets to the temple... He's absolutely indignant because in God's house, their people have set up money tables and they are overcharging the poor for the sacrifices they're supposed to make. They're being inhospitable. They are not welcoming people and he turns over the tables and he declares, My house, my father's house, is to be a house of prayer for all nations. It's supposed to be a welcoming place. It's supposed to be a place where anyone can come and meet with God. You've made it into an unwelcoming place. You've made it into a den of robbers. And we're told that while he's at the temple, God himself coming to his house, coming to visit his own house. The children from Palm Sunday have followed him. And in the temple courts, they're still cheering. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They still recognize this is God coming to his house. But in the temple, there are also religious leaders who cannot see that God has come to them in disguise, that God himself has shown up in his own house and is horrified that the people who are in charge of his house are rejecting the poor. What these three Palm Sunday stories all have in common, same thing Hebrews is talking about. God, messenger, coming to his people in disguise. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they recognize and welcome him, just like Abraham did. Mary and Martha don't understand fully who Jesus is. Abraham didn't know who these three strangers were. On Palm Sunday, some recognize who Jesus is and welcome him. Others do not. In the temple court, some recognize who Jesus is. Others do not. And the point of Palm Sunday is, listen, God comes to us most often in disguise And he does it so that we might be able to welcome him with hospitality. So that we might be able to pour out an expensive jar of perfume. So that we might be able to cheer as children or lay down palm branches or coats. Listen, God doesn't need expensive perfume on his feet any more than God needed a meal that day in Genesis 18. 
God doesn't need coats on the ground or palm branches laid out for him or kids cheering for him any more than he needs perfume or a meal. He does all of this so that we have the opportunity to bless him and that we have the opportunity to offer to him the best that we have to welcome him into our lives. And Hebrews says we do this because this is the way we have a relationship with God and we experience the blessings of God. And the point of Palm Sunday is if you think or I think that God only comes to us in visions and not also in the stranger who wanders into the youth group, we're going to miss him. If we're looking for God only in those who are serving us and not also in those that we have the chance to serve, we're going to miss him. If we're looking for God only in the burning bush and not in that new friend that just happened to show up in our life in the midst of the difficult situation that we're going through, we're going to miss him because God often comes into our lives not with a big name tag saying I'm a messenger from God here to bless you but comes in disguise that's why Jesus says in Matthew 25 speaking of his second coming when he comes back not in disguise when he comes back as the king of heaven with the angel armies on the white horse with all of the glory Jesus will return to this earth and he will separate those who recognized him when he came in disguise from those who did not. And he will say to those who have recognized him when he came the first time in disguise, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you did what? Invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. We will say at that time, but Lord, when did we see you sick? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you as a stranger? And Jesus will reply, I came to you in disguise. That in the poor, in the sick, in the thirsty, that was me coming to you in disguise. That what Jesus did at Palm Sunday is still happening today. That God still comes to us in the poor in the thirsty, in the stranger, in the lonely, in those who are hurting. That's why Hebrews 13 says, not only entertain strangers because you'll be welcoming God's messengers, remember the prisoner. Remember those who are mistreated. Why? Because that's how God comes to us today. Still in disguise. You see him with the eyes of faith. Well, all of this connects to what we're doing this morning in regards to Grace Beyond. Grace Beyond is our building project, and this morning we are dedicating our monetary gifts to do this building project. 
Now, the thing about this is this week as I sat down to try to study this sermon and try to figure out what are we going to talk about on Palm Sunday and how does this all fit together? And we've got pledges we've got to dedicate and we've got Palm Sunday we want to talk about and we're in Hebrews and how in the world would all of this fit together? Well, God took me from Hebrews 13 to Genesis 18, which took me into John 12 because that's Palm Sunday. Now, the amazing thing, John 12, the story of Mary pouring out the expensive jar of perfume, that just happens to be the story that started this version of our Grace Beyond Project. Four years ago, we were in the Gospel of John, and we got to John 12, and here's this really stunning story about this woman who takes this very, very expensive jar of perfume and dumps it out on Jesus' feet. I mean, after she breaks it and uses it, it's worthless. $50,000 seemingly down the drain. And as we were going through this, we're asking, Lord, how do we do something like this today? And we came up with the idea that we as a church wanted to give to Jesus an extravagant gift. We wanted to just do something that cost us a lot of money, that wasn't a utilitarian. I mean, Judas is the one in that story in John 12 who says, let's just give all the money to the poor. Jesus says, no, 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 there's something you can do that will worship me and welcome me that is beyond even what you can give to the poor. And so as a church, we got together and said, you know what? On Good Friday, four years ago, we took an offering and said, this offering, we don't even know what it's going to go for. We're just, we want to tell Jesus we love him, we want to bless him, we want to welcome him, we want to thank him. And so we took up what we now know of as our extravagant gift offering. It was in response to John 12. Palm Sunday. After we took it, we waited through Easter, and then the elders got together and said, well, what are we supposed to do with this money? How can we actually offer to Jesus something that is going to tell him how much we love him and bless him? And there were lots of ideas that were floated, and lots of them were good ideas. But we came upon the idea of a prayer garden. Do you know where we got that idea from? The phrase... My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And we thought, well, let's make this more of a house of prayer. That's what blesses Jesus. That's what he wants. The aroma from the perfume, that's like the prayers of God's saints going up before God. Let's build him a prayer garden. And the idea to build a prayer garden was the genesis for what we have now, which is our Grace Beyond Project. Because we had been talking and praying about a building project, and at some point we're like, well, if we're going to build a prayer garden, let's look at all these other things that we're supposed to be talking and praying about. But it was from the prayer garden that everything that we are doing with Grace Beyond came from. So here we are four years later, and we're getting ready to dedicate our monetary gifts to Jesus for this building project. And finally, it all makes sense to me. What we're doing in Grace Beyond, we're welcoming Jesus. We're recognizing that this is his house, but we have the opportunity to welcome him here. The point of the prayer garden is to make this a place of prayer for all nations. 
to recognize that Jesus comes to visit us in disguise and that we might not recognize him, but in the children who walk through the doors, Jesus is going to visit us. In the stranger who shows up in the youth group, Jesus is going to come visit us. That the person who walks into the sanctuary who is hurting, Jesus is going to come visit us. That what we want to do more than anything else is every week and every day, we want to welcome Jesus to his house. That's what Palm Sunday is about. That's what Mary is doing. God has come to visit us. He's worth the most valuable possession that I have. This is what the children are doing on Palm Sunday. Hosanna! God has come to visit us. This is what's happening when Abraham welcomes God and these angels without knowing it. God has come to visit us. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't need a building. He doesn't need bricks. He doesn't need mortar. He doesn't need grace beyond. He doesn't need our money any more than he needs perfume or coats or palm branches or money or a meal. He doesn't need any of it. But he comes to us in disguise so that we can welcome him in. So that we can eat with him. And we're doing grace beyond as an act of faith. Knowing that God is going to come visit us. That we want him to visit us in the stranger. We want him to visit us in the poor. We want him to visit us in the children. We want him to visit us in the youth. We want this place, this body, of, to be a welcoming place to say to the God of the universe, please come dwell with us. Please come here. Does he need the building to do it? Of course not. But it's the best we can offer. Does he need our money? Of course not. But it's the best we can offer. And it's our way by faith of saying to God, we want you to send us the poor. We want you to send us the weak. We want you to send us strangers. We want you to send us those who are hurting. We want to welcome them in Jesus' name because we know, Jesus, you're going to walk through those doors in those people and we'll have a chance to interact with you and to bless you. And that, after all, is what it's all about. That's why we're doing this project. And so this morning, fittingly enough, we have the opportunity to dedicate our gifts to the Lord. Like Abraham, it's an extravagant welcome. Like Mary, it's an extravagant gift. And so what we're going to do now is we have a chance for our children who are going to come during a time of singing and they've been saving money in their Grace Beyond Banks. And they're going to come here and at the cross, symbolizing Jesus, they're going to give him their banks and their palm branches. Reason we're having the children come first and do that, they have been some of the people here at Calvary who have been most enthusiastic about building Jesus a house. You may not know this, but the very first gift, monetary gift that was given to Grace Beyond came from someone in our fifth and sixth grade ministry. A child who when, when they heard the plans said, I want to give now. And the very first gift that was given, our lead gift, if you will, was a child giving their offering to the Lord. And as you see these children place their banks at the foot of Jesus, we're supposed to be reminded that this is what Palm Sunday looked like. Children recognizing that God has come to visit his people in the person of Jesus, and we're going to do what children do. Well, let's give them our money. Let's invite him over. 
Let's have a play date. Let's get Jesus here. And so the children are going to come do that. Following the children while we're singing praises to Jesus' name. Dan Chala, the chairman of our elders, is going to bring one of our pledge boxes. We're not going to bring all of them. We couldn't get them all. It doesn't have all of the pledges in it, but it symbolizes the fact that we are laying these pledges at Jesus' feet. I have no idea how much has been pledged. You don't know. Nobody knows. Only God knows. But what we're laying before him is the meal that Abraham offered. It's the gift that Mary offered. It's the praises that the children offered. It's our way of saying to Jesus, we welcome you in this place. Come dwell with us. Come be part of us. Come be comfortable here. Bring us the poor. Bring us the stranger. Bring us the lost. Bring us those who are hurting. Come and dwell in our midst. Because Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And with these gifts, we're opening the door and saying, Jesus, come. Come eat with us. Let's pray together. Jesus, be glorified. This is all for you. This is not about us or our kingdom. This is not about us making a name for ourselves. This is not about our own comfort even. This is about welcoming you into your house. Lord God, be welcome in this place. Jesus, we long for you to be present with us more than we long for anything else. With you is joy and peace and blessing. And so with the eyes of faith, we recognize these little banks of money, you don't need those. These pledges, you don't need this. But you've allowed us to have this opportunity to sacrifice, to be extravagant, to bless you so that we might have fellowship with you. So accept these gifts offered to you by your children that we might dwell with you. Amen.